the Province Sports Podcast. Welcome to the Whitetail Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman, joined with Canucks beat writer Patrick Johnson. Hello, Paul. Hello. Uh, just want to remind everyone, you can subscribe to these podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating. Let us know how you like them. We are also bringing you videos, features through the Canucks 50th season. we got our poster series going, Patrick. Everyone's really excited about that. Buy newspapers. Yeah, buy newspapers. <laughs> um, for posters, comics, crosswords, and news. Uh, so all that great stuff is going on this year. So in this podcast... We're going to talk a little bit about the Canucks start. Obviously, uh, PJ was on the road. And another plug here, follow Patrick on Instagram. Uh, Patty J on the road. Fantastic stuff behind the scenes. He yep. did the early Alberta swing. And then, of course, the great home opener, the new captain. And then we'll get into some marketing stuff. After Marnego's Instagram account, am I your favorite Instagram account? You, you really like plugging it. That's flattering. Well, I t- okay. Yours, so, so we'll go a little inside baseball here before <laughs> we actually get to the on-ice stuff. I just find that anytime we post anything, not just on sports media, but media right. in general, people go crazy for it. And mm-hmm. I think that the the coverage of media could be a lot broader. And I just think it's something no- right. novel. Like when you're on the road, it's kind of, you're not the only one. I mean, yeah. we see all the time. Shorty and Garrett, like showing yeah. us ketchup and fries yeah. in every single city. But you, you were new to the beat last year, and we kind of saw it through your eyes. The other, fun. all the other yeah. Canuck media are so jaded and old, and they're so used to going into Nashville, and yeah, you're yeah. like opening those doors a little bit. It's, it was, it, yeah, it's been a fun. Uh, it's not even an experiment anymore. It's a fun task. It's interesting because, of course, uh, Jeff Patterson does a similar thing but we try i mean I, I i'm certainly conscious of trying to make sure that jeff and i aren't posting the same photos and that we are taking photos of the same thing we're trying to do it in a different way so well okay so i'm gonna kind of bookmark that that in my head because i want to get to those boy band pictures yeah, of you sure. guys in the car okay, the uh yeah so sort of the, the behind the scenes stories of the the road trip with the connect media there um but let's let's start with what's on the ice yeah um, we were just talking before we started the podcast, and obviously after the rocky start on the road, mm-hmm. um, you know, in particular the game in Calgary, I suppose, uh, a lot of hoopla over last night, not just naming the new captain and everything else, but scoring eight goals, right. all the spit and polish and the fantastic presentation. But there's still a sense with this team that if you get a goal from Quinn Hughes, Pedersen, Besser, uh, you know, those that's going to send the fans home happy almost as much as a win. It's it's the fact that when you're seeing uh, the hope of the future in these young players manifest itself, mm-hmm. is that do you think that's an accurate representation of how people are looking at this team? It's interesting. I mean, is, you mentioned, I hadn't quite thought of it in those terms. I think you really are on to something because you think about, for instance, say 10 years ago when the, the sort of the scene team was rising. Right, like the the o eight o nine season was the first season of sort of their success. That was clearly the Sedins' driven, Kessler driven success. And uh, you know, obviously, a preview of what we saw two years later. And it, it, even by then, it was coming off the tail in many ways of the West Coast Express era. And there was sort of that feeling that fans had that oh, the Canucks are just going to win tonight. Like it was just it was a guarantee. You know, there was sort of this notion. I don't think people would actually you know obviously say yes if it was put to them, but there was a bit of a mentality. Well, the Canucks really should go 82-0. and You know, and if they lost a game, well, that was a complete and utter failure of their existence. And now we come to this time where obviously they haven't been in the playoffs in, in, uh, in four years. And obviously it is clearly a new team, you know, highlighted by the fact that Bo Horvat is the new captain. And, and the stars are, you know, a couple young guys who basically have no 
connection with the Sedins, who are literally the next guys in Quinn Hughes and, and Elias Pettersson. And, you know, you're right. The context is so different in that sense that I think right now, especially that, I mean, there is that hope idea. You you know, the fans want the team to win. I mean, getting an 8-2 win is as good as it gets. But I do think you're on to something when you say what's more important, the result or it's not even the process, what the sort of bits and pieces that actually happened in the game did petters did i see petterson score which in many ways ties i mean it's it's interesting because of course you know the fan base isn't just made up of that sort of millennial generation that we like talking about how they consume sports so differently through highlights and things like that but in many ways it is a bit of a summation of that mentality of how we do think in in terms of watching sports did you see that sweet play and not so much did how you did s- my fantasy team do last how night? did my yeah. fantasy team do how you know it it is an interesting dynamic for sure so on that and you raise a fascinating point to me is you know i if the Sedines came into the league now mm-hmm. i wonder if they'd ever reach the point of being superstars because they took a long time to cook right. and what strikes me is that if you look at the the holy trinity really mm-hmm. of the canucks prospects in hughes and uh and and Pedersen and besser They've hit the ground running. I yeah. mean, we can get into the Jake Vertanen debate, and I'm sure not not in this podcast because right. there's, there's we have many more weeks to, to get into that, yeah. how long people are still waiting for him to become an impact player. Right. But when you look, and it, uh, Quinn Hughes' window is still you know quite small, but from what we saw at the start of last year, what we've seen so far, it's pretty remarkable that they've, they've had these three guys step into the NHL and not look out of place. Yeah. Not, I mean, they're, they're obviously going to get better. They're going to grow. Right. But you contrast that with how long it took the Sedins to get to be superstars. It's pretty encouraging if you're a Canuck fan. I, I think so. You know, in many ways, it's also thinking about the team from, I mean, I know we're sick of talking about 94, but that era of team too because the stars on that team you know you think about trevor linden was the captain when he was 21 uh pavel beret came in and he was you know 22 i think or 21 his rookie season as well like there are precedents for what's happening now and and i think if we look historically generally the you know across the league across hockey that more often than not, the great players do make it in when they're young. And so the Sedins, in a weird way, are an outlier in that regard. And I, But I, I think the context for the Sedins is important, too, because we look at that team they joined, the, the West Coast Express team that, that evolved sort of shortly after the, they they made their debut in, in, what was it, 2000, 2001, right? Uh, you know, a team that, that had literally turned the corner in front of their eyes. And they were the young rookies. And they, they didn't have to be those guys. And, you know, I think in hindsight maybe Brian Burke and Mark Crawford were actually overly cautious that they should have just thrown the Sedins in there. I mean, I know they had to work on their skating and, you know, it is in many ways doesn't seem that long ago, but that's, you know, it's almost 20 years ago. It's a different era of hockey. That's the other thing. And, you know, the young guys now they come in with such a better understanding of of skill, what they do, how it works. You know, the coaching at the youth level, you know, especially at the elite level is so much better. These guys have such an incredible understanding of the technology they're using um you know i was talking to jim benning about this last week just when we were watching practice in banff and i i I'd sort of we got to talking about sticks and just comparing them with you know when he played right i mean obviously that's a long time ago but you know the stick technology would 
sticks, we forget how different they were. And, you know, Marcus Naslin was still trying to use a wood stick 10 years ago. A guy like Pedersen has never touched a wood stick in his life. He's The only thing he's known has been one-piece sticks. And, you know, that was... There with the blowtorch trying to put the curve on it. Right, yeah, that just doesn't... You don't do that. You just say, you talk to your stick rep and they basically say, what do you want your stick to look like? And they send it and that's how it is. You'll never know the joy of a super blade. (laughs) Right, that too. When you break the wood, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right, And, and, you know, that was something that that Jim totally said, oh, absolutely. The, the, the way these guys understand how to use their stick compared to, you know, the pros of his day, it, it's just so different. And and I think that's a lot of the story in the Patterson success and why the young guys are so good and ready to play, you know, and they're understanding how their skates work. I mean, there there was a there were some fascinating articles that have been written about how skates essentially are designed now and how they're sharpened, which is just, I had no idea. Uh, Patterson Pedersen is trying out some new stuff so that he because he thinks he needed to turn quicker. There's literally something he talked about, and there's ways to design your skates to do that. And you know, I mean, I have a hard time imagining comparable rookie in Canucks pass. I mean, obviously there's not tons, but you go back to say the Sedins, or you go back to Trevor Linden, uh, or you go back to Pelleberry, and I have a really hard time imagining they actually understood their equipment the way these guys do now. It, 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 just the sea change in knowledge and ability is so total and absolute, it's incredible. So I want to go back to Quinn Hughes a little bit. You talk about Canucks history. They've never had a franchise defenseman, like all due respect yeah. to, to whether it's Oland or Jovanovski oh, or Alex Edler, Edler uh, Lidster. I mean, yep. there's guys in, yep. in their past who are solid pros, but they've never You're had a Superstar yeah. defenseman, um, you know we're just a handful of games into this guy's mm-hmm. career. What have you have you noticed any difference in the limited window so far this season versus what you saw in that uh, appetizer last year? And how do you think he is going to fare the rest of the season? The appetizer last year was so weird to kind of understand because it was you know obviously but you know he was hurt right by the time he played the the season was over. It was kind of this sort of reverse. Oh, the team had hit the wall, too. The team had hit the wall, you know, and it was sort of this reverse... It wasn't even training camp. It was just this, it was the tail end of this. It was literally the tail end of the season. And, you know, he got to play a fair bit. We got a sense of what he was about, but it was the end of a long season for him too. Uh, and like, and obviously coming in off an injury, you know, I don't think he had showed any nervousness about that, but you know, at the end of the day, it was guy sort of dropped into a very established team. And we forget there were two other college defensemen, you know, Josh Tevez and Brogan Rafferty were here as well. And, you know, I, you know, it was interesting talking to those guys. We didn't talk to Quinn a whole ton just because of how the things shaped out with the way you know his injuries was and everything but you know obviously Tevis was around for a you know a month and and Rafferty was around for just a week but you know both of them in hindsight said you know it was so it was obviously a different dynamic to anything they'd ever walked into it was just realistic they they come into this team and everybody's everybody's got their little uh, routines and and friendships and and they get together and and you know you're just trying not to rock the boat and i think you know even though Quinn Hughes obviously has been a star on every team he's been on he was still arriving late and uh you know he he kept to himself he was quiet you know didn't want to cause a you know, didn't want to cause a stir i think it's the best way to put it and now you know now he's come back and it's you know everybody has a better sense of who each other is and they've spent time together and you know it turns out that him and him and Pedersen go for a walk every morning you know and then they go get breakfast it's it's that they just have a better sense of each other and then on the ice you know he's has such a immediate understanding of how the game works and he thinks that it's such an incredible level and his his obviously his skating is so outstanding you know he said it last he said it last night on Wednesday night after the game you know essentially said yeah you know I am growing in confidence and I have been saying you know I know that 
once we hit 30 games i'm going to be different from what i am now once we hit 60 games i'm going to be different from when i'm 30 games like he has a real understanding of sort of the evolution of how the, his he thinks his game's going to work his understanding of the game around him and, you know and i've written it a couple times now like he's listed as a defenseman but he's something else like he is just you know and i think that's partly the skill set I think it's partly, uh, maybe in a way, the sort of the way the game is evolving. There's a bit of a trend among, among stats nerds to not call them defensemen anymore, but to sort of steal the, the the Swedish word, which is literally back, which makes sense from a soccer context. It's not that they play defense; they just start in the back, and then they do everything else. And I, I think he is. I, I think there's going to be some really interesting things. I mean, I I'm sort of half ready to start advocating that he should be the guy playing in the bumper spot on the power play because it's just why not like he's he's just a different animal and all this and he's you know as you said like you know as number one defensemen go there's never been a truly best in the league type player and i mean it's obviously a long way to go yet but the skills are just out of this world the young guys i mean okay well before we move on to to Mm -hmm. talking about some of the vets Mm -hmm. uh let's finish with besser i mean obviously we saw petterson score last night which is good news um and i thought he by the way i thought he was fantastic last night uh, having jt miller on his line created a a different element and i had always thought miller would end up there uh miller is just such a smart player he just does things so well he attacks the puck he controls the puck he's got great sort of passing instincts and then petterson himself he just there was just just there was a poise that he had that he I think he struggled to find a little bit the first two games. I mean, obviously he was unfortunate he hit the post a couple times in Edmonton, but uh, no, he was great. You know, full value for the goal. The goal wasn't a fluke. You know, the power play he'd like to see do better, but no, he was great. But, so yeah, so we know, and, and yeah. again, we saw him step right in at full yeah. speed last year. Uh, we know he's going to be mm-hmm. good. I'm sure the word sophomore slump will come up at some point right. this year because they're a hockey cliche. Mm-hmm. But you're looking if you know what you can get from Patterson, you know, you see tease a little bit about what you get from Hughes. Don't want to read too much into Black Clouds three games in, but you know, Brock Besser again mm-hmm. has not had the benefit of a full summer slash training camp slash preseason games. I mean, yes, there was a holdout, yeah. then there was a concussion. Obviously yeah. frustrated people talked yeah. about he wasn't able to build chemistry with the you know right. new teammates, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Concern about his play at all? I'm hesitant to say anything after three games. I mean I I will note that there were at least three looks that he got on Wednesday night where he either flubbed the puck or he held the puck too long before shooting um and that's that's we'll see right that's something to watch that's what i'd say is is does do those keep happening uh because you know certainly last year especially when he was struggling early in the year when he was dealing with his his groin problem once you know which was the knock-on effect from his back not being great and having rushed himself back you know those were the kinds of sort of moments of hesitation or, or moments of uh lack of sort of complete uh coherent play i guess is the best way to put it he just he just was a little all over the place and and that's something that uh i think is worth watching now i mean he did he's he's still trying to push the play like he's trying to make stuff happen in a way that you want to see him and not every pass is going to make it through so that was good and obviously you know he picked up an assist and made some nice he still made some nice moves but yeah the open looks thing you know there there was at least one for sure i remember in the slot the puck came to him he's right at the top slot and he should just let it go and he just held it forever and you're just kind of like, what's what's going on? Why why is that taking so long? Whereas you know, you look at say the goal Brandon Sutter scored. You know, the, the puck was on a stick for a millisecond. He just the puck came and he let it go, and that's why he scored because everything happened so fast. Whereas Besser kind of pondered. So yeah, so, yeah, like I said, something to watch, but I'm not the panic button. I think. Yeah. Well, no, the panic button's still a long way off. Yeah. Um, but I'm you know. 
There's a lot of fan angst, obviously, still around the GM. I don't want to go down that road right. at this point again because uh, that's a that's a clearly demarked line, Patrick, in mm-hmm. terms of uh, where the fandom is, whether people believe in Jim Benning or not. But right. one thing when you look at this team um, – and acquiring guys like Miller, who you talked about, obviously Tyler Myers, who I think has had a very solid yep. start just because no one's talking about him. Then you throw in Furland, who we can talk about a little bit more, maybe not met expectations. Uh, and, and guys like Jordy Ben. Like, this is a team that has seriously upgraded that sort of veteran quotient to help those young guys. And what should the expectations really be for this team when you look at the development of the young players and the fact that they've really brought in more impact veterans than than they have in the past? And we can argue about Louis Erickson and Jay Beagle's contracts right. all day long or guys like Tim Schaller. Yeah. But when you look at names like Miller and Myers and Furland, like these are guys who people are expecting more of them. So, you know, how much better is this team than last year because of those guys? Well, it's funny. Three games, obviously, is a very small sample size to work from. But in each game, I think we saw a tale that helps us understand what this team's going to be. And I think we saw in Edmonton some bad luck, a game they probably should have won. Some bad luck, kept it close, and lost, you know, their the Edmonton's better players were the were the best players on the night, and that's essentially why the Canucks lost. Plus a little bit of bad luck, like I said, hitting a post and a crossbar three times. You know, so a game that otherwise you would call a toss up, right? I mean, a one a one was it one one goal um, wins in the NHL essentially in the long run are like coin flip. That's kind of how it works out. Uh, they go to Calgary, are totally outclassed, uh, and Calgary you know showed us why they're a you know, once again, a playoff contender, a team that, you know, I think at least believes in themselves being a Stanley Cup contender. I'm not sure they are quite deep enough for that. But again, a fantastic team that that uh, does a lot of things really well. Um, and then, you know, Wednesday night, spectacular win. Everything worked right. Playing against a, a tired team, a team that's really not very good. And... You know, they got the win that they should get in that game. You know, and, and they're, you know, obviously they go on the road again next week, but, you know, on the whole, it's a reasonably soft schedule to start the year. They host the Flyers, who I think will be better than they have been, because partly because they've got a very good coach in Alain Vigneault. You know, they're going to figure that out, and I think that'll be a tough test. They're hosting the Red Wings next week. The Red Wings are really not supposed to be very good, although they've had a nice start. I, I just think it's a team that, yeah, I mean, as we said going into the year, they're going to be in the fight to make the playoffs, but it's a really challenging fight if we assume that five teams are going to make it from the Central. Now, obviously, Winnipeg having the defensive struggles that they've had maybe changes that equation a little bit but they're off you know Winnipeg's offensive talent is still so strong that you know they're still going to be I mean that that just brings them back towards the Canucks a little bit but as it stands you know the Canucks right now you would rate as like the ninth or tenth team in the in the in the Western Conference which means they could still make finished eighth right like it's not the it's not impossible it's going to be I think you'd rather it not be a roller coaster because that means there's going to be some 8-2 losses right but uh, you know, I think it's going to be a, game, a, a, a season where everything's very tight for a very long time, and there's going to be some frustrating losses. I think it's, you know, it, it, they're going to have a closer chance to finish near the playoffs, in the chase for the playoffs, than they did last year. I mean, the, the, the result last year was, um, or the, the, the team's performance last year was was sort of overstated a little bit by the fact they had so many shootout wins, and they shouldn't rely on having that many again. Uh, they need 
real wins to make the playoffs and I think they're going to have more real wins than than they did last year. Your thoughts on Furland um you know a lot of debate whether flu disru- again disruption in the in in the preseason mm-hmm. that he didn't that there wasn't enough chance to build chemistry with the guys that yeah. everyone envisioned him playing with yeah. or um you know, again, it's only three games, but we tend to make a meal out of everything in this market. And, right. and oh my God, he's skating on the third line. <laughs> and the you know, all of a sudden it becomes Michael Furlan's a disappointment. Yeah. Um, where do you see him fitting in in this long term? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think we underrate how really difficult his training camp was. You know, that, that infection was no joke. And it's a cold that, you know, he got from his daughter, you know, I had it at the end of August. Like, it's just, it went around through every kid of, uh, you know, sort of preschool age. Yeah, we were going to demote, demote you to the third line, Patrick. Yeah, if, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Coos, you got to lean on Coos a little bit more there, I think. But, no, and, you know, so the, he lost six pounds. Like, that's, you know, and, and when we were talking, about, I was talking to him a bit about it last week, just to check in how you feel. And, you know, and he's, you know, this has been sort of a side point. He's proven to be one of the sort of more intriguing media personalities. And, I, you know, you know, once again, you always selfishly hope for people to do well because you just want to interview them about doing well because those stories are better. Uh he, um, you know, he said, yeah, like, I'm feeling better, but I got a long way to go. And, you know, next to him is Brandon Sutter. And Brandon pipes up, said, man, you know, in training camp, the way we were working hard, he's like, the last thing you want is to is to lose anything like that. You're already, you're, 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 their bodies are so fine-tuned in terms of how much fat they're carrying. So their ability to withstand things like that is actually very, very on a nice edge and and so if you get knocked off that like everything's out of kilter so you know i i i'm 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 sort of leaning on that like i you know that was you know he was only what through two weeks ago three weeks ago that he had this thing so i mean he's gonna come back i think once once they head out on the road trip you know you need to start thinking about okay how is he actually playing what is he actually doing you know he himself has acknowledged that the crash bang guy that he was when he first came to the league the Canucks fans remember from that Flames Canucks series in 2015. It's that's unsustainable. You know, it's just it's just not realistic that the sort of the, the the physical sacrifice he was he was demanding of himself was inevitably going to lead to to injuries and it did. And so, you know, it's about rediscovering that edge and finding a way to make that effective in the NHL um, while, you know, getting, keeping yourself healthy and actually being useful and, and all these things. And so, you know, I mean, last year obviously had a great start with Carolina. He figured out how to mesh with that team um, and and then kind of lost his way because, you know, it's it's a difficult thing to maintain it's an edge it's hard for him to maintain so i mean that's that's what i mean is that like you know it's it we love talking about consistency i don't think michael furlan is going to fall under the quote consistent guy every night because that's no but on paper i think a lot of people saw him playing with petterson for the physical edge create some space and has some touch around goal i mean i heard ray farrow talking about yesterday people look at his career high and think oh he can be a 30 goal score with the right Right. lineman no that's a that's an outlier that even if you're looking at 10 and somewhere between 10 and 20 goals would be yeah maybe successful which is perfectly fine but if he's not playing with petterson and playing that role and creating space and adding some offense where does he fit well i think he could fit on that third line i think that's that's what makes the most sense i think the problem becomes you know, how do you construct the rest of your lineup? And I didn't highlight it too much because it's hard to judge in an 8-2 hockey game because the way it works, you know, the team chasing the game ends up inevitably getting more shots. The the Kings somehow at 39 shots. I don't 
know-how, but they managed a lot. They, they fired a lot of rubber at Jacob Markstrom. A lot of it was from the outside, so that's, you know, fine. But there were guys on the ice, you know, you look at those third and fourth lines, and that, that forever has been a concern under, you know, or not forever, but for the last few seasons anyway. Those are lines that are have been constructed to sort of be very defensive in, in focus, and, you know, as we know, that you need to be able to play at both ends of the ice. Well, Jay Beagle, good guy, good penalty killer, but, you know, he doesn't have an offensive influence anymore. You know, it was good to see Brandon Sutter put up some points, um, and, you know, he's been a goal scorer in the past. But he's also not never been a sort of, uh, you know, carry the weight, you know, be a, a sort of a top end player in in sort of a depth role. He's you know a guy that I think is basically best suited to being a fourth line center. And he's right now he's the third, well, he's a third line winger. And, you know, maybe with Adam Gaudet, maybe there is something there. And I think there is a bit of chemistry with him and Gaudet. But at the end of the day, you know, that's going to be what, what you need to really look at. Because I think we know that Besser, the, or sorry, that the Horvat and Pedersen's lines are going to do well. I mean, Horvat's been incredible. His first three games, him and Pearson especially, have been just a fantastic duo. Uh, so, you know, does Furland end up becoming a third line winger? Which, you know, I think is not not a bad thing it kind of depends who he ends up playing with as well in in those groupings and maybe you end up with and like when Anton Roussel to me one of the big x factors this season is is when Roussel returns to the lineup because first of all there's a there's a roster decision that has to be made they're going to have to send somebody else down and they're also going to have to um, figure out where to put him in the lineup because he is a guy that has had success a, a second line he played well enough when he was playing with Horvat last year he's in a very underrated uh, playmaker so maybe he goes with Horvat but he maybe he's the maybe he's the playmaker you need on your third line you know he could he could make things happen with with the likes of Furland and whoever's playing center at that point uh, but yeah I think Furland I mean I get I get why there was an instinct to start him out with Pedersen and Besser and I think maybe he goes back there again maybe he'll end well up. competition for these spots I think yeah. is that hasn't been there the last no, few years no. you guys can go up and down yeah. the lineup now yeah and that's you know that's a good thing and, and like I said it comes back to how he's able to sort of find his edge and play a rambunctious style while also not you know knocking himself out of the lineup um, we're still, I, I would suggest, in the infancy of this team being a serious contender. Um, but, uh, yeah. but no, no. But I, I, what I'm saying is, some of those pieces are there that you can see as they develop, sort of the high end skill in yeah. particular. Um, you know, in conversations both with you and 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 Ben and and Ed Willis when we do these podcasts over the last couple of years have been the priorities are more scoring wingers and obviously skill and depth on the blue line. Right. Um, you know the team looks like they've addressed that uh not completely but where do you think as we look at the development of this team whether it's internally or externally where are the holes still on this team well i mean i mentioned the third and the fourth lines you know i mean realistically you know the successful teams have three lines that can score for sure a fourth line that can hold its own uh, and right now uh, you know like i said we we saw a great performance from brandon sutter last night good finish but that needs to kind of carry forward. And obviously Sutter had a terrible season last year, you know, just basically with injury. Um, and, you know, in the seasons before that, both in Travis Green's first season and under the sort of later years of Willie Desjardins, you know, Sutter played a lot as a second-line center, which he's not. He didn't do well in that role. So the third-line role, which, you know, you, you he played in Pittsburgh before the Canucks traded for him, you know, maybe there is something there. But they need – that's that's going to be an issue. It's going to be interesting to see, I think, how the defense shakes out. Uh, you know, Chris Tanev is doing well so far, but we know that Chris Tanev's going to get hurt. Uh, it's just inevitable. And so what happens when you have that? I mean, Troy Stetcher, obviously, we know has been a very capable, very dependable, solid 
defenseman for this team always seems to get knocked down the rotation at the beginning of the season and always ends up higher, which, you know, I mean, I think is good for him. I think he does well, but at the same time, you kind of go, okay, you know, that's if they're planning to start with him on the third pairing and they end up on the season with him on the first pairing, you know, what does that tell you about the sort of the rest of the sort of assessment? I do think this defense core is better. They've turned it over halfway over last year. And, you know, we all remember last year going, why are you coming back with what may be the sort of least offensive defense core in the NHL? You know, so the, 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 the Hughes impact is so big. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how his deployment evolves as I think his coaches understand better and better what it is really that he does well and who he matches up well, if it's just he matches up well against everybody. And if that becomes a thing, all of a sudden you're having to lean less on Alex Edler and you can you can find other ways to sort of manage their minutes and, and be a bit more creative. Okay, Patrick, um, you know, we can talk about this team forever. I would go down the Bo Horvat role, but there's been so much said about him already as captain. We can, we can talk about that after we've seen him in the role for a couple of weeks. I did want to touch on the whole uh, media thing. Um, now, we can joke about it. You, you know, in, in Alberta, the Canucks had this like mini training camp to me where they went off to yeah, Banff. Uh, and you guys posted some really funny pictures, you and Jeff Patterson yeah. and Thomas Drance and Harmon. Um, but we know what impact Jason Botchford had on mm-hmm. this market. And, you know, uh, the tragic circumstances of of him passing, and that's brought Thomas Trance back to Vancouver. It used to be that guys in the media couldn't stand each yeah. other, like, and that was one of Botch's legacy. Now yeah. we're merged, Sun and Province. I mean, the rivalry between the Sun and the Province writers yeah. was real. Yeah, um, Neil McRae when he was at NW used to fight with everyone. There were yeah, people yeah, didn't yeah. like each other. Now here you guys are all chummy <laughs> in a car, share like, what's going on? Where's the vitriol? Where's where's the little camps going on? I uh, I don't know. It was it was a sort of a funny one where uh, you know you're kind of looking at like what do I actually need? What do I actually want to do? And it was um, the nice thing with both those cities is that the arenas are right downtown the hotels are right downtown so you know it was kind of a, a question of you know i originally looked at jeff and i said jeff how are you getting from edmonton to calgary and he goes well i'm driving and i'm like well can can post media buy a tank of gas and he went absolutely <laughs> And, uh, and I just said, yeah, I like walking around Calgary. And, um, and I guess Tom heard, you know, kind of overheard from me was like, wait, what's happening? And so they kind of piled in and it was sort of like, okay, and, you know, obviously we all get along. I mean, the competition is, is still there professionally. You know, we're trying to find the best sort of angles on the story and the best little tidbits and trying to tell the best version of the story. It definitely is different. You're right from how it used to be. Like you, as, as well as me, were often caught in the crossfire because I know you're <laughs> friends with Harrison Mooney. Yeah. And when Harrison's blogging for the yeah, Sun yeah. and Botch was doing the Provies, yeah. I remember more than a couple times Botch actually publishing Harry Moon stay on your side of the building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, there was yeah, some yeah. real edge there, yeah. but you know now I guess it's just, every, every, there's so many nice guys covering this team. You guys I think all that's get along. Some of it. I think that's some of it. I think. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. That I think we know so much with Botch too. Is so much. That, I mean, some of his sort of frustrations with call, you know, other people was real. Like we know that there were things that happened that uh, you know that he had sort of said, "No, I'm just not interested in that person." Um, but there was a lot of elements to it that was sort of that pro wrestling, you know, that that you kind of need to overblow the the banter a bit. And I think that's the one thing that realistically none of us are wired to do. Yeah, and there was the fact that Botch never, ever forgot a receipt. Yeah. He yeah. kept, if he had to keep something in his yeah. back pocket for three years, it was coming back. Yeah. And on I, you at some yeah. point. You know, and so, you know, I mean, obviously, Drance is 
put, staked his claim out to Tim Schaller and everyone's just like, what are you doing? Yeah. So that's, you know, I mean, we're kind of egging it on, but it's, it's not, it is, yeah, you're right. It's definitely different. It's definitely a new era. I think there's a bit of a sense of, you know, I think because we're all aware of sort of the precariousness of media right now. I think we do feel a, a bit of an affinity for each other that, you know, I mean, and the other thing too, I mean, in the old days, is, you know, you had, you know, someone was joking, you had eight province sports writers in the press box. Those, that was your team. You know, you didn't yeah. need to interact with the other side. And there was, now it's, you know, there's four, you know, let's look at it this way. We were at practice in Banff. There was five of us, you know, the six, if you include Brendan Batchelor from, from Sportsnet that, you know, that which, which, you know, I think for most hockey Martins is still pretty substantial. You know, it's just, that's just kind of how it shifted. And, you know, last, night i mean that's the same number of guys that essentially were there last night there were a couple other people there but but the press box was full press box was full you know it was yeah. a very, you know everybody was there it was a big night and there was a lot of people there it was you know unlike you see in some other you know you'll see at sort of media events and things like that press box was full of actual journalists you know what I mean? Like it wasn't. Is that a shot of bloggers, Patrick? No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> you, you go to you go to a media co- you know event or announcement, and a lot of times there's like t- you know it's half PR staff. So know? what you're saying is Rob the hockey guy wasn't there? Just kidding. Oh, we love Rob. Just kidding. Speaking of lovins, yeah, they've we, staked they've staked their their spot in the blogosphere. Yeah, um, no, great start to the season overall. I did want to get you? We talked about this on one of the videos that we do. Um, you know, the whole fiftieth season hoopla. Mm-hmm. Obviously, last mm-hmm. night was the big shebang, naming yeah. the captain and everything else. There's going to be a number of nights, jersey retirements, ring of honor, all that stuff. Uh, love the old uniforms. I'm a total uniform geek. Uh, kind of special to see those old guys sort of curtain back, even the reception Bertuzzi got yeah. and Stan Smeal. And, and if one thing, we'll again we'll look more at Horvat down the road, but he he kind of fits the the mold. Like every team, kind of has its own identity um, in terms of whether you're going to be a firebrand leader or a superstar. Right. The Canucks have always been the unassuming, hardworking captain. Guys like Smeal, guys mm-hmm. like Linden. Uh, even uh, although he was, uh, he, you know, he could match it in talent. Henrik, same way. More do as I Naslin. do as yep. I do, not yep. as I say. I put Naslin in a different category. That's a story for another day. Okay, fair enough. Um, but the whole. I'm loving the trappings around, regardless of the controversy as to whether this is their 50th anniversary or not. Um, it's their 50th I, season, Bob. It's 50th season, absolutely. We've only played 49, 49 years though. ago. That they, Yes, I get all that. Um, we're going with it, though. But I'm actually really enjoying these trappings. I know it's window dressing yeah. and wins and losses are, and development of, of this team is what matters. But I'm loving all the bells and whistles on it so far. I, I've said it before. I mean, by the way, that projection system, like Chris Brumwell kind of wandered over to us on yesterday before the game and said, guy, you know, just so you know, there's this new projection system and it's this, that, and the other. I mean, he didn't know any of the technical details, but he tried to make, I mean, I think I noted it in one of my post game, my post game story, but you know, essentially it's like, it's like a movie from HD to 4k. You're kind of like, Oh, what's the big deal? And then you see it and you're like, Whoa, is a good off day story for you. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Anyway, it, that, yeah, they did that. And, you know, obviously they've, they're, there's, they're, they're continually, as I said, started last year, they've started trying to refine their, in-game presentation come up with some new different things and try to make it a bit more, bit new bit fresh but yeah you know i'm the same as you i mean the details matter and i've written about this before that the, the way how fresh the paint is you know things like that they matter and and you know you don't notice them directly but they it's it's sort of the opposite of it's of death by a thousand cuts, right? I mean, you, 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 if you pay attention to the trend, you can see sometimes where a team is or an organization or a business or whatever is heading because of all the things they're not doing. Well, at the same time, if you're able to start adding up things around the edges, you're like, okay, that does matter. There are, they are paying attention to the bits and pieces. And, um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, certainly, you know, the first glance and the sort of the ability to kind of pump up their history and, and the way they have been is is very good. Like we're, we're seeing a real sort of effort to say, we know who we are. We know where we come from. We think this is important and we want what's going forward to be, you know, reflective of that. Well, I think that's enough for today. We could keep going forever. It's yeah. start of the season, but we got to, you know, we got, we're going to be back every week doing these, uh, some great storylines. Patrick, appreciate your time. Uh, Winita Ng, our producer here, uh, looking after the podcast. I want to thank everyone for listening. Again, subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts. You're going to get great feature content around the 50th season of the Vancouver Canucks. Plus, you get your regular news stuff from Patrick, Ben, Ed Willis all season long, along with podcasts, videos, all under the White Towel brand. Uh, theprovince.com and the Vancouver Sun.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week.